It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everybody? Welcome back. Episode 5 of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. And tonight, thank goodness, there's no major injuries to talk about, uh, at least like last week. Last week was one of those weeks, as uh, Eric and I talked about on America's Game, uh, it was a little disheartening last week uh, to talk about the injury to Brees Hall. Uh, just to kind of focus on the injury to start the episode is one of those things where I hope I don't start many episodes like that, but I think that topic was big enough. I think it is going to have enough of a, a shakeup in terms of how people treat the running back position going forward that it was worth doing a lot of the episode on last week. So tonight, what I wanted to do is do the last part of now three uh, that I've covered on quarterback efficiency. And check out the first one that I talked about, quarterback efficiency from a fantasy perspective. Last week, I touched on quarterback efficiency from an NFL perspective. Uh, and tonight, I'm going to go through some more of those numbers, uh, update some stuff as of the final games in week seven, and then talk a little bit about the quarterback position, how it's impacting things this year from both a fantasy and an NFL perspective, and maybe how we're going to start reframing our approach to the position going forward into 2023. I think it's going to be a fascinating 2023 rookie draft uh, with a quarterback class that I think is going to be intriguing enough to where it may turn the NFL back towards, hey, let's start to develop some more rookie quarterbacks. Let's start to bring in some more quarterbacks into the fold where we would value them for dynasty. But then you get into what's the quarterback strategy approach. I've heard a lot of people starting to talk about this from a single quarterback perspective and how much it's different this year uh, compared to even the last few years where quarterbacks did dominate at the top. But you're starting to see this season where the quarterbacks at the very top are such a massive advantage compared to even the positional advantage at the other skill spots. Are we back to the point where even in one QB leagues, and everything on this episode focuses on Superflex because I think it's so much more fascinating when you're starting to value the quarterbacks in the mix. But even in single QB, I've started thinking about this a lot more. We get a ton of questions on my other channel, Dynasty Trades in 5. We get a ton of single quarterback questions. And more and more and more have been thinking about the value of paying up for the positional advantage. And it's not just at the quarterback position, but that becomes the polarizing one because you get a lot of questions on what would you pay for this quarterback to the point where it's, you know, would it be worth paying multiple first rounders for a quarterback in a single QB league? And I would have told you there's absolutely no way if I would have answered that question a couple of years ago. But now you look at the numbers, you look at some of the war data that Dynasty Barry, shout out to Dynasty Barry, has come up with. Uh, and even that you start saying, man, it would be even an advantage to get in a single QB league. And when you get there, then you apply that to Superflex and you look at how has the strategy changed. So we're going to get into that during the back half of this episode and just talk a little bit about what it's going to look like going into 2023, how to approach the rookies, and then also how to approach not only startups, but existing leagues. And what is the price? 
What is the cost? What is the benefit of doing certain quarterback strategies? So we'll get into that as well to conclude the episode. Before we get started, I did want to give a shout out to everyone over at the Destination Devi team that has contributed to the newsletter that comes out every Friday. You can find the newsletter. All you have to do is sign up on the newsletter, enter your email, and you'll get delivered a newsletter every single week from everybody at the Destination Devi team. It is well worth it. Trust me, it is well worth it if you are interested in a lot of the content, not just Dynasty, but Redraft, DFS, betting, everything. There's a lot of content that you can have through the newsletter that you're going to get every single Friday. You can find that at allgas.beehiv.com slash subscribe, enter your email, and you will get the newsletter every single week. So with that, let's move on to some of the data. I'm going to continue some of the stuff that I talked about last week, just looking at quarterback efficiency from an NFL standpoint. Uh, Go back and listen to that episode if you kind of want a frame of reference from what I was talking about from an EPA and a CPOE perspective. Uh, But today I wanted to focus on some of the elements from an NFL perspective that I think we can look at and maybe start trying to find some fantasy gold or maybe some fool's gold uh, from a fantasy football perspective. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at first the yards per attempt leaders in the NFL, uh, and this is through week seven thus far. I wanted to look at the yards per attempt leaders and then try to figure out, you know, what quarterbacks are benefiting the most from yards after the catch, but also what quarterbacks are also up there in terms of air yards per attempt. And then you want to look at the ratio of volume in terms of passing attempts per game. And what you're really trying to do is triangulate that, try to figure out what quarterbacks may give you the best bang for your buck, which quarterbacks may be ones that you want to buy. And I think more importantly, uh, because we talked about on the very first episode, how important it is for our quarterbacks from a rushing perspective to hit that 15% threshold in terms of rushing numbers, right? I talked about that in the first episode. But it's also important to look at some of these things and establish what the baseline is. What constitutes a league average passer from both a fantasy but an NFL perspective to where I say, okay, that player has hit those marks. And once they're there, then I can start looking at some of those other tiebreakers in terms of the rushing efficiency in terms of what the contribution they're giving on the ground, and then the type of weapons that they have around them. And it works both ways. I remember the first episode I talked about, one of my hypotheses was that I think that quarterbacks are driving wide receiver production more than wide receivers are driving quarterback production. But there's a caveat to that. Once a quarterback has kind of hit that baseline level, and this is my hypothesis, I haven't found a perfect way to test this because I think there would have to be a large amount of data that's looked at. And then there's so many variables that goes into offenses and different weapons with different players and different systems. It's really, really hard to just isolate and say, this quarterback's a product of their offense or vice versa. Uh, but one of my hypotheses was that quarterbacks are driving wide receiver production to an extent, right? A quarterback has to be like a baseline level of good. And once they're there, then they can start elevating the weapons around them. Now the weapons, specifically the receivers, have to be good enough to earn the targets. You know, we talk all about market share and a lot of things that are actually measuring how good a receiver is like on a per snap basis or on a per target basis. But once they've hit those numbers, the quarterback is then elevating them or bringing them down based on the passing efficiency of the quarterback. And then obviously, like we talked about uh, in the first couple episodes, passing efficiency can be also a sliding scale based on the volume 
bad a quarterback is throwing. A quarterback can be extremely efficient, but if their volume is really, really low, well, obviously that's going to translate to less opportunities. It's going to translate to basically like the Falcons situation where Marcus Mariota has been a really efficient quarterback, but his volume is really low. But then also the number of throws and the number of targets going to his weapons are going to be really go, except for the concentration of those targets is extremely high. So if you just isolate this on like a per route basis or a per snap basis, or just a per attempt basis, like Kyle Pitts and Drake London look awesome. But then you extend it out and you go, the volume's just not high enough. And the volume is also being masked because Marcus Mariota's efficiency appears to be high. But as soon as you raise the volume, the efficiency is going to go down. So it's like either side of the numbers, whether it's the market share or the target share or any of the peripherals for the receivers, they're actually inflated because, well, they're not getting enough volume to actually make it matter. Same thing with Mariota. His efficiency is way too high relative to, well, if you made him throw 45 times a game, his efficiency would go in the toilet. So it kind of works both ways. Like you're basically sitting there going, well, all you need is Marcus Mariota to throw the ball more, which in turn is going to give you more raw numbers for Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And assuming they're good enough for them to earn, you know, 25 to 30% market share, even on a low number, all they need is a high number. But then the quality of those targets are going to go down and you're not sure the production would actually follow. So it's kind of like a chicken in the egg. You're really not sure which one it is. So I want to kind of go through that and figure out maybe where there's some meat on the bone. Maybe we can find some value looking a little bit deeper at this quarterback data. So we're going to start with looking at yards per attempt. Now, yards per attempt is essentially exactly what it sounds like. It is the yards per attempt. So basically, how many passing yards does a quarterback have? divided by the number of attempts they have on the season. Now, one thing about yards per attempt is it does not necessarily measure yards after the catch. And thus, a quarterback can throw the ball three yards. The receiver can take the ball 60 yards to the house. And of course, they get credited for a 63-yard pass touchdown. It will be go down as one attempt, 63 yards. That's obviously going to inflate their yards per attempt for a given game. Yet, how much of that work was actually done by the wide receiver? Now, I talked about last week, just briefly, I touched on the fact that yards after the catch aren't just a receiver stat, that there are quarterbacks that throw their receivers into yards after the catch. So they do have to be credited with yards after the catch as well. You can't just say, oh, well, this guy had the most yards after the catch by his weapons. Therefore, that he didn't really do anything. He just basically threw the ball out there and then the receivers took it to the distance or the receivers gained all this yardage after the catch so it doesn't get credit to the quarterback. I think it works both ways. I don't have a good way or I haven't found a good way to measure. Maybe you could probably look at something that's manually graded in terms of like film grades. Maybe PFF has something like this where you can dive through the data and figure out what type of yards after the catch are credited to the receivers uh, or to the quarterbacks or vice versa. But ultimately, the best thing I can say is that they're not all credited to the wide receivers, that the quarterback should get some benefit for having high yards after the catch. But obviously, there are receivers or tight ends or running backs that are making plays strictly for the quarterback, and then they're going to get credited on the stat line with a higher yards per attempt because the receiver ran after the catch and gained a bunch of yards on behalf of the quarterback. So I'm going to dive right into it. So I kept this simple, uh, but for purposes of this, what I'm trying to do is put these numbers together and come up with some sort of triangulation where I can say, I've identified a place where I can maybe find some fantasy value going forward, but more importantly, 
these are the offenses that I also want to target weapons with, assuming that I have weapons that have hit those threshold numbers thus far in their careers or even thus far this season. Adding to the idea that if you combine those weapons with these specific quarterbacks, there's some potential. And then if you line that up with the current quarterback scoring or even just the current quarterback value in Dynasty, where can we maybe find some players that we should just predict should be able to ascend as long as we assume like equilibrium for their situations, right? Like there's going to be some situations where we just go, man, I just don't want any part of that for fantasy. Uh, And part of that goes into what I talked about earlier with the offensive volume. If it's not predictable, if you're not able to predict that it's going to at least hit a baseline number, uh, then you can be out. But looking at these numbers, I think you can try to figure out where maybe if things regulated on certain situations that you can find some value and vice versa. What players are being valued too highly likely because of their rushing numbers. So let's get into it. What I did is I took three categories and I essentially ranked each one of those quarterbacks based on those categories and then came up with a cumulative score, trying to measure kind of a triangulated pass efficiency, looking at not only yards per attempt, looking at air yards per attempt, and then looking at attempts per game. So again, we talked about efficiency. We talked about how efficiency definitely goes up and down based on the amount of volume. There are certain players that can maintain good efficiency, even with higher volume. Others, their efficiency tanks when their volume goes up. So I think passing attempts do matter when I'm coming up with this number, because obviously you want to factor in the volume for a quarterback. I don't want to just say, okay, Here's the quarterback that's the most efficient, yet their volume is being masked. Because we can't necessarily look at a quarterback and say, let's say you take the volume of Ryan Tannehill, 24.3 pass attempts per game thus far this season. I don't really care about some of the efficiency numbers because I'm not getting enough volume probably produced. Not only for him, uh, but likely for his weapons. You know, I don't necessarily want a stack in offense in a situation where they're only throwing the ball 24 times per game. And you can think about that. The Titans is one of those situations where you go, man, you really don't want to stack anybody with Ryan Tannehill. And it's not because Ryan Tannehill is not good. It's because Ryan Tannehill's efficiency has been dialed down to the lowest common denominator. If his passing volume went up 25%, he probably would maybe be able to sustain one weapon. But most likely, the bang for your buck or what you're getting per attempt is going to go down. So I think that's important to go through that. So I'm going to start with the leaders right now, the leaders in the NFL in terms of pass attempts per game. And that's just basically the number of pass attempts attempted per game. Now, obviously, some of these are skewed by the fact that some players haven't played like full games, like Tua Tagovailoa has only played four and a half games. Uh, Jameis Winston's been in and out. There's been some quarterbacks that have come in. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't played the full number of games, but just generally, I think it's important to look at pass attempts per game. Now, obviously, there's also some small sample sizes in here. Joe Flacco leads the NFL at 51.6 pass attempts per game through three games. He's basically an outlier. We can look at that and say the sheer number of attempts that he attempted over three games. One of those was that wild game against the Browns where he ended up throwing the ball 50 plus times. But you don't think that's sustainable. After Joe Flacco, though, everything kind of comes back down to earth. So you can almost omit Joe Flacco from this data set and look at the rest. So after him, I'm going to go down the line and I'm going to talk about the top 12 in terms of pass attempts per game. So you have Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Joe Burrow, 
Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and Jared Goff. So that's the top 12 right now through seven weeks in pass attempts per game. The bottom 12. So this is where it gets even more interesting. You're looking at the bottom 12. You have Tua Tagovailoa, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, Cooper Rush, Mac Jones, Mitch Trubisky, Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Bailey Zappi, Marcus Mariota, and Justin Fields. Now, a couple of those are going to stand out. Bailey Zappi hasn't played a full four games. Cooper Rush didn't play a full six games. Mac Jones obviously didn't play a full four games. Same with Dak Prescott. He didn't play a full two games. Then you have a few others that are mixed in there that have been in and out. Uh, I mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo. He's a little bit higher on the list, but you get the idea. Some of those numbers are swayed just a little bit. Obviously, Tua didn't play a full five games, uh, but those guys are on the lower end. And especially the ones that stick out, Justin Fields at the very bottom, Marcus Mariota second to the bottom. Those guys have played all the games for their team thus far. Ryan Tannehill has started six games. He's played all in those six games, 24.33 attempts a game. Mariota was at 21.43. Justin Fields was at 19.43. Zach Wilson. So Zach Wilson has played four full starts uh, at 25.2 attempts per game. Uh, Then the others, Daniel Jones has played seven games. Uh, This is through week seven. Daniel Jones, 27 pass attempts per game. And then surprisingly, Lamar Jackson is under 30 a game, 29.3 pass attempts per game. So those are the guys that are at the bottom. Uh, Two is a little bit higher given he left in the second quarter of the Cincinnati game. So essentially it's like four and a half games played for Tua. But the ones that definitely stand out are the ones that I mentioned. Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota, and Justin Fields. So keep those names in mind when we're talking about the guys at the very bottom, because their names will come up a little bit later. Then the ones in the middle, the ones that are basically just stuck in the middle, Derek Carr, Trevor Lawrence, Aaron Rodgers, Davis Mills, Jacoby Brissett, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, Kenny Pickett, Jimmy Garoppolo, Geno Smith, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, and finally, Tua Tagovailoa. So again, those are the ones that are stuck in the middle. Now, what does all this mean? I'm just looking at attempts per game, right? So you're trying to get a baseline of who's throwing the ball the most, who's throwing the ball the least. And another thing you can look at is a website called runningbacksdontmatter.com, which is rbsdm.com slash stats. Uh, And check out the team tiers, rushing and passing EPA on offense and QB stats link. Uh, And then specifically click at the top at quarterbacks. That's where you're going to get all the EPA and CPOE data. And then finally, at the bottom, you're going to get under decision analysis, you're going to get team pass heaviness, and you're going to be able to look at neutral pass frequency. That's another thing you can look at for just this season, uh, how frequently teams are passing in neutral situations. So again, some of these numbers can be swayed by the fact the team situation may say that they shouldn't be passing and then vice versa. There's going to be others where teams have always been having to be passing. So when they're they're not going to be in those game scripts, maybe their passing volume is going to be a little bit lower. But I wanted to just establish what the current passing volume looks like per game for these quarterbacks. Next, what I'm going to look at is the yards per attempt leaders this season. I'm just going to go down the line. I'm going to read them all the way from the top to the bottom. And this is YPA per attempt for the season. So Tua Tagovailoa, Bailey Zappi, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Geno Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo, Marcus Mariota, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, 
Zach Wilson, Jacoby Brissett, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, Cooper Rush, Justin Herbert, Davis Mills, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, Kyler Murray, and finally, Joe Flacco. And very interestingly, Joe Flacco leads the league thus far in attempts per game. Joe Flacco is at the very, very bottom in terms of yards per attempt. So just keep that in mind and why somebody like Joe Flacco isn't necessarily going to be the answer for the Jets specifically, but obviously could mean something if you're talking about you know certain types of targets going to fantasy weapons on the Jets. So it's interesting the way that we kind of frame Joe Flacco. I saw a lot of Joe Flacco should be back in comments today when Zach Wilson was struggling, uh, but just think about that. He leads the league in pass attempts, but he's at the very, very bottom in terms of yards per attempt. So finally, I'm going to go through the list and talk about air yards per attempt. So again, this is the third part of the triangulation, looking at air yards per attempt uh, for this season at the quarterback position. So the top 12, Jameis Winston, Mac Jones, Mitch Trubisky, Justin Fields, Dak Prescott, Marcus Mariota, Tua Tagovailoa, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Andy Dalton, Jared Goff, Jacoby Brissett. Now let's go to the middle 13. So this is after Jacoby Brissett, starting at 13, Geno Smith, Cooper Rush, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Flacco, Ryan Tannehill, Kenny Pickett, Josh Allen, Zach Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, Joe Burrow, and Tom Brady. And then finally, rounding out the bottom 12, Davis Mills, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Bailey Zappi, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, and Daniel Jones. So what I went over here was I looked at three categories, passing attempts per game, yards per attempt, and then air yards per attempt. So I looked at those three, and what I'm going to do is triangulate those three and try to figure out maybe where we can find some hidden value from a fantasy perspective, uh, and then figure out if there's anything in here that really doesn't line up just with these numbers. And again, these are just three numbers that I'm essentially triangulating and trying to figure out where we can maybe find some value. This doesn't necessarily talk about the same stuff that I talked about in the first two episodes, but putting all this together, you can kind of spot some trends. And I think my takeaway with the trend here is to try to figure out where there is some hidden gem value from a quarterback perspective, and then maybe where there's a little bit of fool's gold. I used those words earlier, where there might be some gold defined and where there might be some fool's gold in terms of buying and selling, uh, but also looking at some of the weapons, potential team stacks going forward, uh, potential fits in future offenses, depending on where quarterbacks land in the offseason. Just trying to take some of this data for some maybe speculative buys or sells on the market. And then we'll talk about the current ADP and then also what the 2023 rookie draft impact is going to have on dynasty strategy from a quarterback perspective. So just looking at that, taking those three numbers, I'm going to go down the line and go through the cumulative scores that I came up with. And again, this is just taking those three numbers, combining them together, taking the median average and coming up with a cumulative score. And this doesn't mean that these players are good or bad, but I think my takeaway again from this is going to be, I'm interested in the guys obviously at the top because essentially what it's saying is they have basically the best combination of not only attempts per game, but also yards per attempt and the air yards per attempt. Again, the difference between the yards per attempt is essentially what they're getting per attempt from their passing yardage themselves, but then the air yards are what are they getting from an air yards perspective. So even if they're not completed, 
you can obviously have air yards that are incomplete. You talk about like the Chris Alave air yards. You know, it's very interesting to look at like Jameis Winston is first in the league in air yards per attempt. Part of that is why Chris Alave was so high in air yards the first couple weeks of the season. Now, you might look at that and say, well, Jameis is missing throws. They're obviously not being completed. But if you're talking about projecting future fantasy points or future stacks that you may want to put together, I obviously want to have more air yards than not. So it's interesting to look at this and then figure out what are some takeaways uh, that we can raise from this. And then maybe who are some buys and who are some sells. So I'm going to go through that. I'm going to go through the list one through 37. And again, this is the triangulation of the three categories of attempts per game yards per attempt, and then air yards per attempt. So I'm going to go down the line, 1 through 37. So pause this, and I'll say it, and then you can rewind it and listen to it again. And just keep in mind kind of what this means. It's just looking at these three categories together. But you can kind of decide maybe where you can spot some value and maybe where you spot some players that are a little bit overrated. And then if you match that up with where they are in terms of like a fantasy point perspective, Then you can figure out which guys are maybe producing from a fantasy perspective that is not sustainable until it is. So let's go down. Jameis Winston, number one. Josh Allen, number two. Tua Tagovailoa, number three. Jared Goff, number four. I did not expect that, uh, but Jared Goff checks in at number four. Number five, Russell Wilson. Number six, Geno Smith. Number seven, Joe Burrow. Number eight, Mac Jones. Number nine, Patrick Mahomes. Ten, Andy Dalton. Eleven, Derek Carr. And twelve, Marcus Mariota. Now, it's very interesting to see what makes up these categories versus just the final results. Uh, But my takeaways from the top 12, I talked about it last week. I definitely want to buy Tua Tagovailoa. He was on my list of a player that I wanted to buy and I was able to flip a Trey Lance share for Tua Tagovailoa and Cam Akers, uh, which I was glad. Uh, I don't have much Tua, but he was one that I wanted to go out and buy. And I talked about on last week's episode that I think he's somebody that is a little bit undervalued from a dynasty perspective. I think there's other risk factors that are playing into his value. So he was somebody that was interested in buying. I'm going to omit a few of the guys in that top 12 uh, because we already know they're good. We already know they're super efficient. We already know they're very, very high level for fantasy. So Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick, I'm going to omit those guys. A few of the others that stand out to me besides Tua, I mean, Russell Wilson. So Russell Wilson's in here at number five. He ranks 19th in attempts per game, 15th in YPA an eighth in air yards per attempt. Russell Wilson is still a guy that I'm willing to buy back in on. I know it's still a somewhat small sample size, but I think some of the bad we saw has been a little bit over-exaggerated. I think as they continue to figure this out, that he's somebody that I still am willing to invest in at his current dynasty price. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But he's still somebody that I'm willing to bet uh, isn't as far down as those early numbers were. I know I talked about Uh, a couple weeks ago on the first episode from a fantasy perspective, and then obviously the one from an NFL perspective that he worried me a little bit. But I also said of the four in that category, it was Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Matt Stafford, uh, that Wilson was the one that I still was confident could bounce back. Other than Brady, he was the other one that I had some confidence with, and nothing with this data has changed that. So I'm still interested in Russell Wilson at his current price. 
The other ones I wanted to touch on briefly, Jared Goff. So Jared Goff is 13th in attempts per game, 13th in YPA, and 11th in air yards per attempt. Goff's going to be an interesting one because the Lions right now are trending on being the first pick in the draft. And you have to wonder, you know, of some of these quarterbacks that are going to fall into situations where the team does draft a rookie. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a little bit. If the team drafts a rookie inside the top three, I find it unlikely that somebody like Goff is going to be able to stave them off of that job for long. Uh, versus that would not be the same if a team drafts a quarterback in the teens or in the 20s. If that was the case, then I'd be confident that someone like Goff could continue this and he wouldn't necessarily be blamed for the losses by the team. I mean, to an extent, he's going to get blamed just because the quarterback's always going to get blamed. But these numbers essentially say Goff can sustain his fantasy success. Uh, it's just going to be tough for him to stave off a rookie next year. Geno Smith uh, comes in right behind Russell Wilson, so that's very interesting. Uh, Geno Smith is at 23 in terms of attempts per game. Uh, 23rd in the league in terms of attempts per game, but everything else lines up to put him inside the top six. So I think he's a guy that kind of the opposite of golf, that even if he isn't the starter for Seattle next year, is going to be in the same mix with a guy like golf in terms of getting a starting shot. So I think everything lines up for Geno Smith. I'm guessing they probably just end up bringing him back to Seattle uh, if he continues winning like he is. I mean, they have actually a pretty good shot of making the playoffs. So I think Geno Smith might be one of those where if you're looking for the bridge quarterback or the guy that can get your dynasty team another year, uh, it's looking more and more like you can bet on Geno Smith. Mac Jones, Mac Jones comes in at eighth. The issue with Mac Jones is he's 31st in the league in attempts per game. Uh, that doesn't necessarily encompass Mac Jones. Like he's getting counted for a game that he played against the Bears when he really didn't play all that much. So that number's misleading. Mac Jones is definitely a buy for me. Still, it comes down to Mac Jones. We've talked about this in the DD Discord. Are they going to get weapons around Mac Jones? Do we trust that organization to get weapons around Mac Jones? If they do, I think all the peripherals, again, a small sample size this year, but the peripherals again line up for Mac Jones to be a better fantasy producer than where his dynasty value currently is. And then finally, the other one, I mean, Andy Dalton is 10th, Jameis Winston is first. So my takeaway is with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton, I don't really even care who's starting, but that's an offense that I want pieces of. I mean, if you look at these numbers, I want pieces of the New Orleans offense, regardless of who the quarterback is. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but without a first round pick next year, I kind of wonder if they may just go with this same type of quarterback platoon next year. Maybe it's Winston. He's still under contract for one more year. Dalton, you never know if they have Dalton back again, where they're kind of rolling with the same thing. I doubt they're going to do the same type of platoon, but I think the point is, I want these New Orleans quarterbacks the rest of the way. I want the New Orleans weapons the rest of the way. I'm not sure if Michael Thomas ever comes back, but I still want Chris Olave. I still want Michael Thomas if he comes back. If I have to throw in a tight end, you could do worse than stacking whatever New Orleans quarterback you're starting with Jawan Johnson. So I think the New Orleans offense is a takeaway to say, I want parts of the New Orleans offense from a passing perspective. Like they should be able to sustain their fantasy success. And then finally, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is in number 11. So the thing with Carr is he's kind of right in the middle, 14th in attempts per game, 17th in yards per attempt, 15th in air yards per attempt. The thing with Carr is he had a really, really bad game. And I know this is just through week seven, uh, but he had a horrid game in week eight. He's going to be a guy that you can buy in Dynasty. I'm still okay buying him in Dynasty. 
I don't know if it's going to change or if it's going to turn around this year just in terms of the team. Uh, it looked like the team might have started figuring it out, but after today's matchup, I'm not sure. Uh, but I'd still be willing to invest in Derek Carr. He's not as bad as he showed today, and he's somebody that I think is in for some positive regression the rest of the season. Uh, number 12 was Marcus Mariota, but listen, uh, this goes back to the conversation I had at the beginning and the conversation that I had last week. So Mariota is 8th in yards per attempt, and he is 6th in air yards per attempt. He's 36 in attempts per game. I kind of hold that with a little more weight simply because we're chasing volume. I don't really care about the other two numbers until I see that 36 go up. The only other player in this zone that's even close is the two that stand out as being Tua and Mac Jones, but they're also looking at partial games. So if I remove that and I adjust it exactly for those partial games, nobody else is inside this top 12 that's even close to the volume as low as Marcus Mariota. So until I see that volume go up, it's hard to buy in. So I'm going to omit him from this sample size. So that was the top 12. Again, the guys I'm interested in buying in this range, Tua Tagovailoa, Russell Wilson, Mac Jones, and Derek Carr. Those are the ones I was interested in, along with the Saints quarterbacks. I don't necessarily want to buy those guys, but if there are spot starts that can be had going forward, Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton are on my short list of not bad bets that you could take for a couple starts the rest of the way or possibly going forward if they continue like this uh, going on into next year. I'll be back here in 30 seconds, and we will talk about the rest of the list. So continuing with the rest of the list, uh, after Marcus Mariota, we're going to go from 13 all the way down to the bottom, and I'll talk a little bit about my takeaways from that sample size. Justin Fields, number 13. So Justin Fields is very similar to Mariota, 37th in the league in attempts. However, we started to see the attempts go up just a little bit for Fields. And everything else checks out. 11th in yards per attempt, 4th in air yards per attempt. It's quite simple. We already know Fields brings the rushing to the table. We talked about that in the first episode. Same with Mariota, but I think we're starting to see the volume trend a little bit up for Fields. The one thing that I have as a drawback for Fields is what is the threshold to where his volume goes up? and his efficiency starts to drop. Right now, some of these peripheral numbers look pretty good, but I think if we can continue to see the efficiency numbers rise, uh, go back and look at the EPA and CPOE for fields over now the last four games, and it actually looks pretty good. It's like top half of the league, but the volume has to go up. The volume has to continue to go up, and I'm still moderately interested in fields. But we buried fields a month ago. We buried him, and I think we were a little bit wrong. So I'll be the first to say I'm not going out and probably buying fields at what his fantasy production price has been, but I'm not fading him entirely from the NFL perspective. You know, I was very outspoken at the beginning of the year saying fields is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, if not the worst quarterback in the league from an NFL standpoint, but maybe that was just a victim of small sample size. So if the volume continues to go up, I'm going to become more and more interested in fields as long as some of these efficiency numbers still hold with him. 
Uh, after him, Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Lawrence, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco, Jalen Hurts, Matt Ryan, Justin Herbert, Matt Stafford. Uh, so the guy that I, I can't get behind in this range, uh, Matt Stafford. So Matt Stafford is down at number 24. Stafford is essentially being carried by the fact that he's 12th in the league in attempts per game, but everything else is ugly. 18th in yards per attempt, 34th in air yards per attempt. Uh, Stafford is one that I'm definitely on the fade end with. It's going to be interesting to see what the rest of the season looks like for Stafford because it appears that the Rams are, are basically out of it at this point. I know they're not mathematically out of it, but the way that they've been waxed uh, a couple times this year by other contending teams, they've gotten crushed by the 49ers. Uh, the Seahawks have a two-game lead over the Rams. Uh, they're clearly the worst team in their division. Uh, the Cardinals may have something to say, but I, I actually would say the Cardinals uh, looked better today, at least, than the Rams did. So the Rams are one of those teams that I'm out on, so I wonder if maybe these will go back the other way on Stafford. But rest of the year, it's really hard to say I want any part of the Rams. I don't want Tyler Higby necessarily. I definitely don't want Allen Robinson. Obviously, you have to buy into Cooper Cup. Uh, but Stafford's on the low end of one that I'm just not interested in. If you can get off of Stafford uh, for one of the other guys that I've talked about, and try to find a pivot deal, do it. Like, I would take Derek Carr over Matt Stafford, not even close. I think you'd definitely add to Matt Stafford to get somebody like Derek Carr. The other guys in this range, so another one that's very intriguing to me is Jimmy Garoppolo. I talked a little bit about yards after the catch. Jimmy Garoppolo is 22nd in the league in attempts, but if you adjust that uh, to the fact that he didn't play a full six games, uh, Garoppolo's inside the top 20. So his volume actually hasn't been that bad. His YPA is seventh. His air yards per attempt is 23rd. But I think we know what Garoppolo is. I talked about last episode that Garoppolo last year uh, led the league in terms of discrepancies between yards per attempt and throw a dot, which essentially is a good measurement of who's benefiting the most from yards after the catch. And Garoppolo was at the top of the list. His team's built that way. I mean, if you look at Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, the team's built that way. That's his job. His job is just to distribute to the weapons and let them do a lot of the work. So if he can do that, Garoppolo is still a buy. And I know a lot of people have gone, oh, he's a bad NFL quarterback. I think he's basically a better version or a similar version to what you have with like Geno Smith and Jared Goff, but with higher volume than Geno Smith a better efficiency than Jared Goff and better weapons than both. So if you like those guys, like you have to buy into Jimmy Garoppolo. He's a guy I want to buy for the rest of the season. Now, the major issue with Garoppolo is, you know, how much is he being carried by those weapons? Like this is a perfect scenario for him to finish a top 15 from a fantasy perspective this year. But then what if he goes elsewhere next year and obviously doesn't have those same weapons? So it's very intriguing to look at both that then also look at Trey Lance because Trey Lance could essentially be similar to what we're talking about with Garoppolo, but with maybe not like the Justin Fields rushing. But as long as the volume isn't extremely low, then I think you have a similar situation potentially next year with Trey Lance. So it kind of makes him, you know, I was Mr. Let's sell Trey Lance right after he got hurt. But the more and more that I think about it, the more and more some of these other quarterbacks kind of bury themselves down into the dust. I remember after Trey Lance got hurt, in a 16-team league, I actually offered Trey Lance for Matt Stafford, and I got declined. And the manager was just like, yeah, I can't trade an active quarterback for a guy that's going to be out for the year. And keep in mind, this team is out of it. 
But at the same time, they wouldn't deal Stafford for Trey Lance. And I'm looking back like four weeks later, well, man, I'm glad that didn't get accepted. So everything I said about Garoppolo intrigues me a little bit more about Trey Lance. On the other hand, I mentioned Tom Brady last week. The thing with Brady is, so looking at these numbers with him, he's third in the league in pass attempts, but he's 24th in YPA, 25th in air yards per attempt. I don't want to say that I've changed course on Brady, but looking at these numbers, it does make me wonder what the ceiling for him is. Now, the thing with Brady is he is by far on pace to be at the very, very top in terms of pass attempts. Like thus far this year, through eight games, he has 340 attempts. He's on pace to be over 700, just like last year. So he's going to be able to survive on the sheer number of pass attempts if it continues at this rate. And for fantasy, he's still going to be okay. But he looks very similar, and this is going to be crazy to some people, but go back and look at some of these same numbers for Matt Ryan over the last couple years. He's very similar to what Matt Ryan was until Matt Ryan fell off the cliff. So I'm not saying Brady is Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan for the last couple years was an inefficient mess being propped up by the fact that he was still throwing the ball 600 plus times per season. And once that starts to go down or once the efficiency starts to become so bad that the team goes, we can't throw this much, aka what has happened to Matt Ryan this year, then you fall off a cliff. So that's kind of where Brady's going. Maybe he turns it around. Maybe the weapons get a little healthier and these numbers slowly start to creep up. But I don't like what I'm seeing from Tom Brady when I'm looking at these numbers. Man, he's probably a guy from a dynasty perspective that even if he potentially is going to play another year... I'm willing to be out. If there's ever a time where someone believes he's going to play another year and you can sell, um, I think he's a guy that I'm willing to get out on. Because really what, what this data is telling me, I don't want Brady even if he plays another year the way that he's trending. And maybe I'm going to be wrong. You may look back in four weeks and you're going to go, Scott, you're crazy. You never doubt Brady. Uh, but these numbers are different than what we've seen from Brady in the past. These look very similar to Matt Ryan the last couple of years. Uh, and that's not something that I really want to chase. So those are my takeaways in this range. Obviously, buy fields, very interested in Garoppolo at least the rest of the season, a big buy on Jimmy Garoppolo the rest of the year. I did want to make a quick mention on Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson is 19th in YPA, 9th in air yards per attempt. Uh, the volume just needs to come back up for the Ravens. Uh, it's gone down. The only issue is with Mark Andrews banged up, with Rashad Bateman banged up, the Ravens have started to trend way back in terms of passing attempts. Uh, now, part of that has been the situations they've been in. They were in some games early on where they couldn't play that way, uh, and recently they haven't been. But at the same time, the volume is starting to trend backwards for the Ravens, which is not what we necessarily want to see. doesn't mean Lamar can't be good, uh, but essentially what he is right now is just a better version of Justin Fields. Uh, and Justin Fields has been outscored, or Lamar Jackson has been outscored by Justin Fields for the last four weeks. So essentially they're the same thing right now. So when still it starts to turn around a little bit, it's hard to say that I really want to buy into Lamar Jackson where he's at. But it's interesting because the beginning of the year, you were looking at Lamar Jackson's passing rate and you're going, wow, if this continues, uh, we're going to be in great shape for Lamar, given how much he was producing on the ground. So those are my takeaways in that range. Let's go through the bottom guys. And this is where you're going to find a lot of players where I go, man, either things aren't clicking this year or there's some explanation as to maybe why these numbers look the way that they are. But you're also going to find some players in this range where you go, man, if there's any if there's any dynasty value to be had, or if there's any pivot value to be had, uh, then at least heavily consider that. 
So let's go through them. So we have Ryan Tannehill, Dak Prescott, Bailey Zappi, Mitch Trubisky, Cooper Rush, Kirk Cousins, Davis Mills, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Kenny Pickett, Zach Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones. I'm going to omit Dak Prescott because it is such a small sample size. Uh, And part of this, he's not getting credit for those numbers simply because uh, he missed a lot of that first game that he played in. But the other ones that are interesting to me. So let's start with Mr. Reliable. We've talked about it forever. His efficiency has always been good. Uh, But what do these numbers say? So Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins this year is 10th in attempts per game, 25th in yards per attempt, 36th in air yards per attempt. So at the very, very bottom in air yards per attempt. I don't know necessarily what to take away from that. Other than I I do wonder if the Vikings, if some of those rumors about the Vikings going after another receiver are true, but the air yards just aren't there for Cousins. The yards per attempt or the yak isn't there for Cousins either. Uh, It kind of looks very similar to what like Matt Stafford is doing with the Rams. And I don't necessarily know if that's the plan or not. And it's not necessarily a concern because you can produce like fantasy numbers for your weapons this way. But I don't look at these numbers and go, it used to be if I can stack the number two receiver or the tight end or the number three receiver, even with Kirk Cousins, then I'm interested. But these numbers say the opposite. You know, Cousins is 10th in terms of attempts per game, but his air yards are at the very, very bottom. So it's almost the opposite of what you're seeing with like the Saints and the Vikings. But Cousins is clearly a better quarterback than Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton. But if I'm looking at offenses that I want to stack, shy of Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, I'm not interested in stacking any other Vikings. And this was somebody that I looked at and go, man, I want some Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins. I want some KJ Osborne and Kirk Cousins. I might even want some Irv Smith and Kirk Cousins, but it's been the opposite. So it's not that I'm off Cousins, but I think this kind of shows like what his ceiling is. Uh, And if you look at like his fantasy numbers, he's essentially producing like right there where you would think like he's a top 12 quarterback, but he's not carrying the weapons like I thought he might be able to. So that's just interesting that that stands out on Cousins. Uh, The other ones in this range that stand out to me, uh, Kyler Murray, fifth in attempts, but 36th in YPA, 31st in air yards. I don't know if this is going to continue to go up with DeAndre Hopkins back. Probably not. You just have to wonder if maybe... This could change a little bit if they get Hollywood Brown back. Uh, but again, like it's very, very similar to Kirk Cousins, but to an even greater degree where I don't necessarily want the stacks with Kyler. And you probably feel that if you have Kyler Murray and Rondale Moore or Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown or Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, like they can get fed just from like a PPR perspective. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're top five in the league in attempts per game. You know, that's why Hopkins is hitting. They're not hitting because of the efficiency. In fact, they they have very, very low upside if the volume isn't there. So just keep that in mind. I know people are going to look at Hopkins in week eight, and they're going to look at Kyler and say, that's a great stack. It could be, but essentially what this is telling me is if the volume isn't there for Arizona, and, and maybe it'll continue to be there for them, but the efficiency of those stacks, the efficiency of that offense is not one that I'm interested. So it's not that I'm off Kyler, but I look at this and I go, I don't want an elite quarterback to be down in this range. You know, I would still take Lamar Jackson over Kyler Murray for this reason. You know, I would probably have Joe Burrow over Kyler Murray for this reason, pretty easily. Just because you look at these numbers and you go like the, the, the sustainable part, 
The one thing that I can say is not sustainable on this list is top five in the league of pass attempts. Like, that's going to have to go down. If the efficiency, like I talked about last week with Kyler, continues to be where it is, you, you just can't survive with an offense where the volume is top five in the league because they're not winning either. So that's another thing that's going to factor in here is, is it working? And quite frankly, it's not working. So I, I would expect some regression for Kyler Murray. So I'm a little worried about him being on this list. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, the other one about Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers is, again, 16th in pass attempts per game. Uh, but at the bottom, in terms of yards per attempt, 26th, air yards per attempt, 30th. So this is almost looking similar to Tom Brady, but without the volume. So you look at that, you go, what's up with Aaron Rodgers? Now, the interesting thing about Rodgers is he doesn't have any weapons around him. So if his best weapon is Aaron Jones, what do you necessarily expect with the yards per attempt uh, and the air yards per attempt? So maybe that changes if the weapons get there for Rodgers, but how long do we have to wait? So I'd kind of throw... Rodgers and Brady into the same mix, and I'm just really not sure how to value those guys going forward, but these numbers are not trending in a positive light. You know, it looks very similar, like I said, about Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, kind of looks very similar for Rodgers. And then finally, the very bottom one, Daniel Jones. So Daniel Jones, he's at the very, very bottom of this list, 28th in attempts per game, 30th in yards per attempt, and dead last 37th in air yards per attempt. And I know I haven't talked about fantasy numbers that much today, but just listen to what I said. 28th in attempts per game, 30th in yards per attempt, 37th in air yards per attempt. Yet if you go to fantasy scoring, Daniel Jones at the quarterback position, thus far this year, now this is through today's games, but Daniel Jones is 15th in the league in quarterback scoring. And that actually includes Taylor Heineke in the mix. So if you omit Heineke because of a small sample size, Daniel Jones is quarterback 14. So if that does not speak to a player that is literally getting by on rushing yards, I don't know what does. You know, Daniel Jones has 363 yards rushing, and that is contributing the highest percentage in terms of fantasy scoring for any quarterback. Everything else says that that is it for Daniel Jones. He He's not doing anything from a passing perspective. And I know people have talked about Daniel Jones. He's earning the starting job. As long as they keep winning, they're going to sign him. They're going to keep him. I'm not sure about that. I look some of these numbers on Daniel Jones and I go, I don't know if it's going to be enough to get him signed by the Giants. In fact, if I'm the Giants, I probably look at Daniel Jones and I say, you know what? We're going to make him a kind of a half-assed, semi-competitive offer, one that we probably hope he doesn't accept, uh, and then let him test the market and go from there. Because none of these numbers speak that Daniel Jones has earned an extension with the Giants. Like, he hasn't been that great. And I know he's not working with really any weapons, which isn't necessarily his fault, but he's not really showing anything to say he's able to elevate the weapons if they were to be there. That's the one concern. Like, it, it's almost very similar to, like, what Kyler Murray's doing, but to a lesser degree. Uh, and Kyler Murray's passing volume is extremely high. So at least Kyler Murray's been able to sustain some production because of high volume. Daniel Jones it, isn't even allowed to have the high volume, yet somehow they are 6-2. and two. I know they lost today, but I just look at these numbers and I go, Daniel Jones is still somebody in Dynasty that I don't want for that reason. Because I also think if he were to go to a different situation— even one where maybe they had a better offensive line, maybe they had better weapons, 
you'd probably still get a lot of what you're getting from Daniel Jones, maybe more attempts, maybe slightly more air yards per attempt, maybe slightly higher YPA. But as long as the rushing was still there, you'd get decent fantasy production, but that would be it. Like you're not going to get much more from him. So he'd be somebody that I'm, I'm fading in Dynasty. I think there's starting to become a narrative that he's going to get extended, that he's going to be a long-time starter. But I look at some of the other guys on this list, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, some of the other ones that I mentioned as buys, guys like Mac Jones, and I'm just taking them all over Daniel Jones. So with all of this said, what does this mean for the upcoming rookie draft? And stay tuned. We're going to do a future episode on America's game. Actually, Eric and I are going to do an updated episode looking at some NFL mock draft projections and go through what it specifically means for all of the positions. And we'll definitely hit on quarterbacks. But I wanted to hit on briefly uh, using mock draft database. So check that out. It's NFLmockdraftdatabase.com. Just trying to figure out what it means from an NFL perspective. I just mentioned a bunch of players in this sample size that I'd be willing to maybe buy in for for the future. Rest of the season, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, the Saints quarterbacks, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, not only for the rest of the year, but for the future going forward. And then some that I'm interested in buying for the future, as long as the weapons around them and or the pass volume starts to go up. Uh, Justin Fields trending up. Mac Jones, definitely. Mac Jones is one of those guys, like if he ever could get in a situation similar to the Patriots, where they just have some weapons around him, I think Mac Jones could be extremely good. And then a few of the others that I'm a little concerned about, I mentioned Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins, not saying that I'm concerned about them going anywhere for Dynasty, but I don't see the ceiling for them going forward, nor do I really want to stack their offenses. And it's the opposite. You know, if I can put together some 49ers stacks with Garoppolo, some state stacks with Winston or Andy Dalton, like I'm interested in those uh, simply because I think the weapons can carry the quarterbacks maybe a little bit more because the quarterback's efficiency is at the baseline numbers. And they're hitting some of those numbers that I was looking at in today's episode to say that fantasy production could follow. Then a few of the other ones that are almost trending towards a point where I'm not sure you can get back. So Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, I talked about those. And then the biggest one was Daniel Jones, where essentially if you can sell Daniel Jones, and it's not even that you can't give him credit for what he's done, but you almost just have to be out on Daniel Jones in all of these aspects to the point where I'm not sure the Giants consider bringing Daniel Jones back. And maybe there's other things at play, but I think if they're if they're smart and they look at some of the efficiency numbers for Jones, then they're not necessarily where you'd want him to be regardless of the weapons that are around him. So that will be an interesting situation. Now, what does this mean for the 2023 rookie draft? And for that, I'm going to look at the current mock database projections and just kind of forecast what the draft could look like from an NFL perspective uh, and how that's going to fit into the current landscape. So we're going to spend the next like 10 minutes of the episode talking about that and think back to these three quarterback episodes, the first one on fantasy efficiency, and then the last two talking about some NFL efficiency metrics. And what does that mean for the future landscape at quarterback? So I'm going to look at both mock draft database and where they project quarterbacks to go. And obviously this stuff can change. Obviously we see the draft process play out. We see quarterbacks fly up the board. We see some quarterbacks that are mentioned high draft picks. Look at last year where they're mentioned all offseason as high draft picks and the draft gets here 
and it doesn't happen. However, you know, what does that mean for what we think the NFL is going to do and how these guys are going to be valued? And maybe we'll have a value discussion later on a future episode, actually talking about like the quarterback landscape. I just don't have enough time to go diving into that specifically tonight. But I mean, just currently looking at like the ADP. So I'll just use the DLF ADP for Superflex from October. I mean, I know people kind of nitpick sometimes on DLF CDP, but I think it's okay if you're just trying to get like the order that the quarterbacks may come off the board. But if you look at the NFL draft specifically, so in this draft, essentially what they have is CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis going in the first round. They have Hendon Hooker, Anthony Richardson going in the second round. I don't think you can put Anthony Richardson in there. I'm not sure if Will Levis is definitely going to be seen as a first round pick, but I still think there's enough from a traits perspective that's going to still warrant him being picked pretty high in the NFL draft. Uh, But then you look at Hendon Hooker, he's going to be a different type of prospect for a lot of people to evaluate. But let's just say we end up with four first round quarterbacks in next year's NFL draft, and maybe we get one or two others that are drafted like in the first half of the second round. So I think we're going to get a quarterback class with potentially five or six quarterbacks that are quote unquote worth potentially drafting. But then you look at the quarterback landscape and you go right now, if you just name off the top 12, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. So you just go through that top 12, and I'm looking at the super flex ADP. But if I even look at just the regular ADP, it doesn't differ much from that. And so you look at that top 12, and you go, wow, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence in that top 12. And you might go, wow, I I didn't even realize they're still valued there. But then you ask yourself, who else should replace them? You know, Kirk Cousins, Tua Tagovailoa is probably right there. Deshaun Watson should be in there. You know, that's one of the flaws. Watson should be in there. I would say Tua and Watson are clearly inside that top 12. But then after that, you sit there and you go, where do I value Carr? Where do I value Cousins? Where do I value Stafford? Where do I value guys like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady? Like we're getting to a point where the quarterback landscape, and we're already into the top eight, nine, ten, when you're starting to mention Russell Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, like guys people have significant questions about. But then you look at that and you say, those guys are in the top 15. Then you get outside of the top 15 and you're starting to mention guys like Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, not sure if he'll ever get his job back. You know, Mac Jones, right now quarterback 20. I'm not sure that you can convince me that there are more than 14 or 15 quarterbacks I would rather have over Mac Jones. Maybe the Carr, maybe the Kirk Cousins types, maybe Matt Stafford, simply because I've seen the production before. But if you're really sitting on what do you think is going to happen at the end of 2022 going into 2023, You're going to start telling yourself that same narrative that I said during this episode. Get Mac Jones some weapons. If you think that can happen, then you almost have to put him in those ranges. His efficiency numbers are pretty close to lining up what those guys have already done, except for he's 10 years younger than somebody like Kirk Cousins. Kenny Pickett. Who knows what to do with Kenny Pickett? But I think you look at Kenny Pickett and you say, by the time we get to the offseason, 
there's going to be people that are just pushing Kenny Pickett up simply because they just don't want the other guys. So I think the bottom line is we're looking at kind of one of these really, really weird spots to where there has never been a bigger advantage than having these elite quarterbacks. And I think they're really, really expensive to buy. But I also look at this rookie class, and, and I'm not the only one that said this. Many, many others have said it as well. Credit to Matt Bruning. He's been saying it for a while. Like this 2023 quarterback class, there might be a couple guys at the top. But then you sit there and you think about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Where are they really going to compare even to guys like Fields and Trey Lance and Trevor Lawrence? Like, is it going to be automatic to just put those guys ahead of them simply because they're the new breed? Or we haven't seen them fail yet? Like, that's basically what it's going to be, is we're going to put those guys ahead of the others simply because we haven't seen those guys fail yet. And I'm not sure if that's going to be sound process. So you arrive quickly at a conclusion where we're sitting here thinking about potential quarterbacks to buy. There has to be quarterbacks that occupy these slots, which is why I'm I'm still a little more interested than I ever would have been in guys like Jared Goff, in guys like Geno Smith, in guys like Jimmy Garoppolo in guys like the Saints quarterbacks, simply because I think there's going to be more opportunities than we want to give credit for to these players, simply because there's not enough quality quarterbacks right now. We need more. And there's going to be others, you know, someone like Daniel Jones, Davis Mills for sure is going to be out of a job. Guys like Carson Wentz, I don't think is ever going to get another starting opportunity in terms of like, here's the keys to the franchise. It's all going to be just opportunity-based. It's going to be like another Andy Dalton-type situation for Carson Wentz. And that's going to be it. He's not going to get any other opportunities. So I think we're at this point where if you can buy Mac Jones, you're doing it. If you can buy Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of the season, you're doing it. But then you probably want to sell. Selling for the likes of Mac Jones, who's the opposite. Nothing going for him the rest of the year, but a lot going for him as we get to next season. And maybe they can surround him with some weapons. But there's just a lot that's going on right now to where we're going to need more quality quarterbacks coming in. And what that does is, A, uh, it makes some opportunities on the really, really cheap for some of these guys. If you guess right and you end up hitting on multiple seasons of opportunity for a guy like Geno Smith, it's probably worth it. But more importantly, I think if you can lock in shares of Trey Lance, of Tua Tagovailoa, Deshaun Watson is one where I look at the, the prices on the really, really elite quarterbacks. So you're talking about Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. I look at Deshaun Watson and I go, he's probably somebody that there's still enough bias out there that I'm interested in buying. Especially if you take some of those Jacoby Brissett numbers and you go, man, like they're actually not completely hiding a guy like Jacoby Brissett when some of these other teams are doing that with Justin Fields, are doing that with Marcus Mariota, are doing that with Zach Wilson. Like, they're not necessarily doing that with Brissett. So I think Watson is one where I'm willing to double down, even if it's at 80% of the cost of the other elite quarterbacks. Same with Tua. I mean, I was off Tua forever. But I think you're starting to get to the point where if you if you can just say that they're going to be doing something similar with Tua, what they're doing now, I'm okay buying into it. Like, you're almost by default getting yourself a top 12 quarterback. And I never thought I would say that, but you almost have to buy into what Tua is doing as well. So I think the key is if you can lean into getting into that top 12 as much as possible, especially 
I don't even want to say two was in that range yet, but especially the Watson range, especially Herbert at his current price. Like there's some really weird things going on with Herbert that I don't know if it's the ribs. I don't know if it's just a poorly designed set of weapons around him, uh, but he's clearly a lot better than what he's showing. But I think at almost all costs, you should try to get those guys if they become available. Because if you really look at the fantasy production, it really is becoming the haves and the have nots. And then it really just levels off. So we'll talk more about this as we kind of project what's going to happen uh, in the 2023 class. But ultimately, right now, you're looking at a class that might have a couple guys at the top. You might have three or four quarterbacks that are even worth drafting that go, you know, mid first to mid second in the range where it's like, all right, if I know a player is a top 50 pick at quarterback, they're probably going to get opportunity. Doesn't mean it's guaranteed. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same opportunity for a mid first rounder versus a early second rounder, but I think they're going to get some sort of opportunity, but that's it. What does that actually mean? I mean, we've seen a lot of young quarterbacks get opportunity and then they kind of just end up in this this blah range, right? Like we may be trending that way with Fields, Lawrence, Trey Lance, but by default, you know, they have a little bit of value. So that kind of speaks to the type of value that you're going to hold with CJ Stroud or with Bryce Young, maybe even with Hendon Hooker, who knows, but you're going to hold that type of value, but you may not actually get the production. So long story short, I'm trying to double down. I almost want to look at my portfolio by the end of this year and lock up as many of these top 12, top 15 quarterbacks as I can get. I don't even know about the prices that I'll have to pay, but my hypothesis is that I'm not sure there's enough of a price that you can pay. Like, I don't think there is a overpay at the sake of roster construction. Now, you have to be careful if you're at the very, very bottom end of that range. If you're overpaying for Russ Wilson and Tua Tagovailoa, and you're overpaying just to lock up, quote-unquote, like two top 15 quarterbacks, you could get burned. There's a chance that somebody may have a cheaper version of that type of production, and they could still beat you. But I think ultimately, uh, one of the biggest advantages, and it's just going to continue to magnify itself, is locking in the elite quarterbacks, is locking in your quarterback rooms to where you're not fishing uh, in these other waters trying to look for your quarterbacks building going forward and you don't have to rely on any rookie drafts because I think we're heading towards a class where there's going to be a couple that are valued at the top but it's also a class that I don't want to bet and I've said this many times on Dynasty Trades in 5 I don't want to bet on the 2023 rookie class at all fixing my quarterback room at all so if I can almost fade this quarterback class and wait until I see some of these efficiency numbers and then buy back in. Like if I see, you know, Hendon Hooker producing similar to like what Mac Jones did as a rookie, then I'd be willing to buy in because I think I'm going to probably get a little bit of rushing production on top. But I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait till I see that to buy in versus really playing on replenishing my quarterback rooms at all with the 2023 class. In fact, I probably want to double down and go after some of the players that I talked about in tonight's episode. So I know this was a lot. Uh, I covered quarterbacks in the last three episodes, really just kind of getting my footing on what I want this show to be. It's really just talking through thought processes in Dynasty. And I think to wrap this up, one of the biggest things to take away from quarterback efficiency is this, is quarterback efficiency from a passing perspective. A lot of the data that I talked about in the first three episodes, uh, that is what establishes the baseline of what a quarterback can produce, not only for his own fantasy production, but for his weapons. You know, that's my hypothesis. That's what I started this series with was the hypothesis that quarterback efficiency, these numbers are going to drive the wide receiver production. 
Then when you get into picking out which weapons have proven that they are good enough, that's when you start attaching it to the quarterback efficiency and going, okay, these are the situations that I want to buy into. Then when you combine the two, then you're going to look at some of the volume numbers, and then you're going to look at some of the numbers that I talked about tonight, where is there maybe like a high bang for your buck with the type of offense or with the type of attempts that you're getting from the quarterbacks and getting to the receivers that could translate to more fantasy points. And the ones at the higher end are the ones that you want to consider stacking. So that's the takeaway. Keep that in mind when you're identifying quarterbacks. If you can kind of see through a quarterback's production and say, hey, it's strictly based on volume, the efficiency is really bad, but they're just throwing the ball a lot, red flag. The other one, if they're getting a lot of production on the ground, but they're not sustaining anything with their passing efficiency, red flag. So look through all of that. Think about that when you're scouting quarterbacks. Think about that when you're determining how much you want to pay for a quarterback. Kind of make sure some of these things check out. And best of luck in your quarterback buying endeavors. Again, I'd like to thank everybody at the Destination Devi team for continuing to support me. To Ray and Jay Rich and everybody at the team for the opportunity. And I'll continue to grow, continue to expand the platform, continue to expand the ideas. The YouTube people always asking me about when are you going to live stream, when are you going to live stream. We'll see. I promise I'll announce it. I know I say this every episode. Still getting my feet wet, still kind of figuring out where I want to go with the show. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Give me feedback. If you want to hear any feedback on things you want me to cover on continuing topics going forward, let me know. I'm always open to it. Really, I just come on here once a week, talk about what's going on, talk about what's in my dynasty mind, and hopefully it'll trigger thoughts from everybody else, thoughts from people. I get tons of great messages and DMs. Hey, I loved you said this. I'm trying to follow some advice that you gave on this or trying to think about something that you mentioned and I'm going to go do this. That's what I want to see. That's exactly what I want to see. I want to hear everybody else sitting there thinking about Dynasty through a different lens and then going out, attacking their portfolio, attacking their leads, attacking their strategy uh, with some of the stuff that I talk about. I don't have all the answers, uh, but it's something that I'm super passionate about and love prompting everybody else to use their minds to think about Dynasty in different ways as well. And with that, I will say goodbye and I will go ahead and sign off. Only ones I keep around me is my fam. No coincidence, it's always been the plan.